0: Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today, joining me, um, we have uh, the wonderful Mr. Tyler Stefanski, who uh, hosts the uh, Monday Open mic at Up and Under Pub on Brady Street. And he is a uh, bassist for the improvis-
1: improvisational funk band,
0: slash the house band there, uh, Honey on the Biscuit. How are you, yeah, man. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah. What'd you do today?
1: Well, I uh, went and worked my shitty day job. Right. Tell us what that is. No, I, I I drive a truck for an electrical supply company. <laughs> it's uh just driving around all over the place. I went as <laughs> far as Watertown today, and yeah, just driving around with a shitty beat-up old truck. <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds a little mind-numbing. So it sounds like you could use a drink. Hell yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So we're gonna drink my. Uh, a uh, slightly modified drink of choice at the up and under. This is something that uh, I like to think it was like an original idea, but it's not so much. Sure. We're drinking Yuli Blue <laughs> and lemonade. The <laughs> of legendary.
0: <laughs> Man, uh, we're going... I'm about to feel 15 again. <laughs> That's. I like how uh, you... Um, you prefaced it with something even better than our original idea, which was Angry Orchard.
1: Yeah, I would grab the Angry Orchard but I wasn't coming from my house. And uh, who, who wants a warm, angry orchard? Um, not me, I don't want an angry and hot orchard. Ooh. That just sounds grody. Uh, yeah. I okay. say modified because uh, at the up, th- this all started because I was, I was working the door during uh, the Harley 115th, and uh, cheers, cheers. We, uh, we had an outdoor bar. Where we were selling shots and, uh, and beers, but the shots weren't selling good. They had all these uh, Jolly Rancher shots, oh, yeah. and uh, they sold them for a buck. And nobody wanted these, so I was like, well, fuck it let's take the Blue Raspberry Jolly Rancher shots and mix it with lemonade. And it was the best drink I had had all day. Mm. That does taste like a Jolly Rancher. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah, and uh, the one I have at the Up, uh, it's a special mm-hmm. bottle mixed by by Timber. <laughs> He's been the bartender there for like, well over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've known Timber since, I was sneaking in underage at that bar. Right. Yeah. And he's been a bartender on Brady Street for twenty plus years. Yeah. He uh he takes like a at least hundred proof vodka and he puts in, I believe, eighteen Jolly Ranchers into oh. it. Along with triple sec and sprite and just lets it. Dude, disintegrate. What the fuck? But you mix it with the lemonade it tastes like a Baja Blast. Really? Yeah.
0: Damn. That sounds like a frat party's dream right there. Oh yeah, why? Wow. Well, I, I don't <laughs> drink anything that doesn't taste good. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's why I never invest in liquor. I Like, I'll drink liquor if it's provided for me. I'm not going to say no, but yeah. I'm... I mostly drink beer because I just love the taste, and it's just... It's readily available. Yeah, and it's crisp, but it's fucking painful to be taking shots of, you know, this, like, you know, 80-proof vodka or tequila or, like, it's... it's I don't enjoy that, you know? It just
1: makes me recoil. Yeah. So. Like, I'm not going to drink anything that I'm not uh, enjoying. Mm. My, my one shot of choice, usually, has been... Uh, this bottle that I've been keeping behind the bar. So a bottle of Captain Morgan 1671 blend. Ooh, okay. From what I'm told, it's a 7 times spiced rum. Wow. Has a finish like a snickerdoodle cookie. Man. They got some real treats uh, here at
0: the Up and Under. <laughs> that, that's an awful book treat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they. It's like they've got all these candied drinks there, but... Uh i'm I mean I'm here for it gotta hide
1: the taste of strong cheap liquor somehow
0: yeah yeah right so Tyler, what we talk about I'm mr nice guy uh we talk about love and fear I'm fascinated by how artists use um you know those two driving forces in life to express themselves and um and uh you know you you've you were in Nashville for a couple of years you know you uh you've been playing in bands for a long time and you recently like picked up the, the position of, um, of hosting the, uh, open mic. So you, you have a pretty, um, you have a prolonged history in, uh, working in music scenes and, you know, being, and having that being like your way, like your thing to do, yeah. you know, your hobby. So, you know, uh, so I gotta say, like, I, I gotta ask uh, to begin. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, you, so like you started coming here, you know, when you were like underage, you were going to the Up, and oh, you are yeah. coming up here from,
1: uh, was it Racine? Racine, yeah. Yeah. So my, my band in high school was a band called Thirteen, mm. and uh, I booked my first show at the Up and Under when we were still juniors in high school. Yeah. But uh you have a enough of a beard and you don't go up to the bar and order drinks, they don't ask. <laughs> yeah,
0: right, and I mean, I mean, that is true. That's why, you know, I started keeping, like, a, I started keeping the fuzz in my cheeks, too, because, like, people always, like, assume that I'm a couple of years older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so, yeah, you were doing that, um, you know, back in the day, you know, when you were a teenager. Uh, and that's, that's quite a risk to take, too, because it's like you get to the
1: bar and it's like, what if they say no? You got to turn all the way back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I kind of had it like ingrained from a young age. Uh, my dad was a country singer. Sure. So I grew up going to these bars and you know, of course for those people who are not from Wisconsin watching this, I don't know if there are any like mom, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you legally can go into a bar at any age yeah. with a parent sure. in Wisconsin. I mean, uh, as far as I know, laws wise, uh, um, parent can give you alcohol at any yeah. age here. Yeah. Uh, course, my parents didn't, and I didn't want it because I was like, ugh, gross. Right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I grew up like as early as five, and six years old, going to bars and seeing bands play live. Nice. My uh, <laughs> my dad played in a country band for well over a decade, and towards the end of it, I even joined him on stage as his rhythm guitarist. Wow. And uh, my first time singing on stage was, believe it or not, with Toby Keith. Holy shit. When I was, really? I think, three or four years old <laughs> at, like, the Walworth County Fair. Wow. <laughs> We're talking, like, should have been a cowboy had just come out. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I was, you know, like, the little happy kid with a cowboy hat in the front row singing it, and he just pulled me up on that stage, which it's really funny to think about. like. You know, Toby Keith's one of those artists who nowadays is, like, selling out arenas. Oh, yeah. But, like, I got up on stage and sang with him at a stage that was literally towed in on the back of a truck. Wow. In the middle of a rodeo in the mud. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a, that sounds amazing. Um, what a scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, damn, it's, like, it's a fucking success story you can tell. Like, yeah, song with Toby Keith. Before he was Toby Keith, Yeah. Before he was going full on America for everything. Right. I used to have to work those shows. I, I did security at a, a concert hall back home in Illinois. Oh, um, yeah. the, uh, it's now a Hollywood casino amphitheater. It used to be like First Midwest Bank. But yeah, I used to have to work a bunch of country shows. And it was just always the most, like obnoxious and just trash crowd like those drunk tank tents would just fill up
1: it's kind of nuts man like after playing in rock and metal bands for my whole rest of my career like the crowd is so much different mm-hmm. like country fans they love to get real wasted yeah And, uh, you know, rock crowds, people are scared of them because, you know, long hair and leather and spikes and stuff. But, yeah, I'm going to get hit. (laughs) Everybody, like, kind of keeps to themselves and makes sure that nobody's falling down, pulling back up again. Like, it's a good community. Yeah, totally. People will kind of, like, look after each other and, you know, make sure that
0: um, everyone's having a good time and everyone's safe by, at least... That's, uh, that's the impression I've gotten from the rock shows that, you know, I've been out in Milwaukee, but, so, where'd you, where, where in your life, like, did you, so, I mean, you, you grew up with, you know, like, playing music and also, um, going to shows frequently, so, like, where did you see it as, like, a really serious
1: outlet for yourself, like, growing up? Oh, <sighs> well... I, I didn't for a long time. You know, I when I was in the end of middle school, beginning of high school, I was playing in punk bands. You know, I got real real heavy into the like Kenosha punk scene, mm-hmm. yeah. which uh, it's weird going from. Man, what you drinking? Oh, we're, we're filming pods. Is, is this kidding, is this alcohol? Yeah, it's alcohol. That's pretty good. All right, All right carry on. You're welcome. Anyway, uh, but yeah, it's 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 weird going from like growing up in country music, like essentially being raised white trash, to like suddenly mm-hmm. you discover like punk rock, Yeah. and it's like this whole other expression of like just force and anger. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I grew up going to shows at the Swedish Community Center and <laughs> cutting off the sleeves of my. Yeah. My uh, army jacket and painting punk band names on the back of it and stuff. Nice. Seeing bands like Pissed Officer and the Yates Kids. (laughs) And uh, so I I started doing that and then my parents decided like, all right, let's get you bass lessons if you actually really want to play. Mm -hmm. So uh, I took bass lessons and then completely put down bass for years and became just a guitarist. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, where was I going with this? My my band in high school was a band called Thirteen. Yeah. Because we were just surrounded by bad luck all the time. Interesting. And uh, that's the band that I first played at the Up and Under with. Oh wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that place really uh, holds a special place in your heart. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He really derailed my whole train of thought. <laughs> like I I was going somewhere. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Man, well. well uh, It was,
0: um, I mean, it made for good content, right? Yeah. But, but no, I I know what you mean,
1: though. So, you, yeah, you. um, Oh, I know where I was going with it. Sure. So, I I didn't actually ever really see music as one of those things where it's like, oh, this is what I can do and, like, be successful with it. I saw it as, like, a, this is what I'm good at. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And, of course, like, I've worked all kinds of jobs and things like that, but. Nothing compares to getting up on a stage in front of people and entertaining. Not even getting in a truck at 6 a.m.? I mean, it's, it's a close competitor. <laughs> Shit, dude. That's, I'll
0: say. <laughs> no, I... Yeah, sure. Um, no, that's a, that is dope. And I, I think that a key thing you said is that, like, you know, I have to. Like, this is, this is me. This is where I really, like, connect with my surroundings is when I'm on stage and, you know, playing my heart out, entertaining the crowd, and just working off of the energy that,
1: you know, everyone else on stage is sharing with you. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, I guess I was growing up with my dad playing country mm-hmm. music. Like, I never was one of those people who had that stage fright of yeah. like, oh no, I don't know how i to react to this crowd. So, like, it's weird when I get up on stage with people who, they have that stage fright. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got to kind of like, lead it. Whether you're the leader of the band or not, like the person who does not have the fright has to take charge and be the front man. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. Cause like,
0: um, did you ever get like, uh, like stage fright? Like when you had to like go up in
1: front of class and give a speech, was that ever like, no, cause I was always like turning it into a comedy routine. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I guess I was like a bit of a class clown. Like I was always making jokes and stuff in class. And uh, it wasn't even just jokes. It was like turning it into a whole like improv routine. Yeah, sure.
0: Well, I mean that's that's a skill. And uh that it's a skill that's not intended to be there from the from like the assignment, but you it's like you uh kind of acquire it from doing something like that. I mean it that. definitely got me in trouble in school. Right, yeah. <laughs> Came in handy later on in life. Naturally. Yeah. Uh, well, the things that get you in trouble can often be the things that, you know, lead you on to, lead you on to, uh, great ideas in the future. Uh um, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you, um, what made you, uh, because, because you moved to Nashville for a while, like what, what, uh, enticed you to,
1: you know, relocate? My apartment burned down. Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a big loft apartment over on the south side and, uh, my girlfriend and I were already at a point where we weren't going to be able to afford to live there anymore. So we are like planning, like, okay, I guess we're going to have to pack up all our stuff and move. So we did just that, and our power was off, because I was like, well, fuck it, I'm not paying for the next week of power before we move out. So uh, we went to go sign stuff over to the, the uh, manager, and she's like, all right, well, I'm going to go turn your power back on. Oops! somebody had knocked a cardboard box onto the top of the stove and turned it on and started a fire jeez ran up there like I had to throw my laptop up on top of the bed like save the laptops yeah and then when we finally got up there after the firefighters had been in there it was like guitars just floating in water oh my god they had terrible. kicked one of my telecasters like to get to the window yeah what was like the most heartbreaking thing you lost in that place uh, my record collection. Oh man. And it wasn't. It wasn't just like the record collection losing it because of that. It it was. Like they they were all replaceable records, but the majority of them were like my dad's records from mm-hmm. when he was my age. Yeah. Uh. So like all these classic Rick Springfield records and Huey Lewis and the News and mm-hmm. stuff, just like stuck together, and then all the records or bands that i had played on shows with like melted bent over in half and stuff i would literally like be i would
0: just be so struck with grief if that happened in my record collection i yeah. can't even imagine um that actually strangely enough my dad's record collection got destroyed in the flood um which is why when i started record collection uh Unfortunately, I couldn't ask him for uh, any hand-me-downs or
1: anything, but he yeah, yeah. got destroyed in a disaster. Yeah, my uh, my dad being a country singer, you'd think all those records would have been like country, but uh, my dad was a country singer, but he was most influenced by 80s rock. Mm-hmm. We're talking like Rick Springfield, yeah. which a lot of people just know him for Jesse's Girl, but he's got a lot of good songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the Cars, uh, Foreigner, nice. Journey, all that kind of stuff. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I got the crash course. Yeah. Right. Just by like going through my dad's old albums and CDs. Ooh. Following that, um, that tragic event, um, you decided to relocate. Why Nashville? Well, okay. So in the fire, like all my furniture had been wrecked, and oddly enough, the only things that really survived even though they were right underneath the sprinklers were my Hot Rod DeVille, my, my main guitar amp I used, yeah. and my old 1969 Hammond organ <laughs> sure. that I had hauled up to the fourth floor of a loft apartment and played in this place that was just like 20-foot ceilings. I felt like of the opera every time I played with thing. But uh, I, somehow that survived. So I moved like what was still kind of okay into a storage unit, and we just like sleeping on couches for a couple weeks while I figured out what to do. And uh, me and my girlfriend, we, we thought about it and I was like, well, we would move to Chicago, but we'd have to get rid of our car and just like take the train everywhere. I don't know if I really want to do that because I tend to like haul around a lot of shit as a musician.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then my thought was like, oh, we could move to LA. I mean, I've always wanted to and I've never been there. Maybe. But then I thought like, oh wait. We can go to Nashville because like I've been there enough with my parents and I know the place like the back of my hand. Or so I thought. And uh I just decided like, well fuck it, I'll just start applying for jobs there. And I got a job and we moved down there. Nice. And uh yeah, it was uh it was different because All my experience growing up going to Nashville was pre-flood, because in 2010, Nashville had this giant flood where most of the city was like underwater. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that happened, a bunch of developers from like California and stuff came in and just changed everything, turned everything into like strip malls and like food places that were from the west coast. The yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's strange but I mean still I knew how to get around there and I knew like generally interesting places to go to. Of course the year I moved down there Printers Alley closed down so like all the cool little secret spots yeah. went away. Yeah, and, and then everybody started moving there because of the TV show Nashville. Right. Uh, yeah. Place just can't handle the amount of people that are living there now. I believe it. Yeah. That's, I remember For,
0: you were telling me a little bit about that when you first mentioned that you were living down there. And you also mentioned that, like, just, like, the musicians work tirelessly
1: down there, like, playing multiple gigs in, like, one day. Yeah, from my experience down there, like, musicians aren't doing it because they have to play music, and they love to play music. They're doing it because, like, it's good money maker, mm-hmm. as long as you're playing covers. Yeah. Yeah, when I was down there, I... Uh, I experienced a little bit of a Broadway circuit, which the way it kind of works is uh, there are bands, but there's also just like groups of musicians who get booked to play at one of the many, many venues down this one road where all the bars are. Mm-hmm. And they have live music from 10 a.m. until bar close every night. Yeah. So you might jump on with a band at one end of the street and play for four hours and then haul your stuff to the other end of the street, play for another four hours with a different group of people. Mm -hmm. And then if you're really feeling it, you go like down second street (laughs) to one of the like off Broadway bars and play for another two or four hours. But it kind of works like, everybody knows the same three to 400 songs just off the top of their head. And then there's this sort of unwritten rule in Nashville that you have to play any song for $20. If somebody tips you $20, You had to figure out how to play that song and play it. Yeah. So So I've heard everything from like a country band doing Britney Spears to a punk band doing "Forgot About Dre," (laughs) all the same night. Wow, Tim, that's quite a mix there.
0: Yeah. Um, It it is always interesting to see like uh, like um, bands playing unlikely covers to their stylistic. Drive, like, you know, like what you wouldn't expect in the play. For example, like, uh, shout out to Will Frank and the Goodland Gang, because those guys play all kinds of on covers. They play everything from Prince to Alicia Keys to Calvin Harris. Like, man, the other night,
1: Will Frang came out to the Up and Under with me. Yeah. And uh, we did, like, the most different version of Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton. <laughs> nice. Like, it was not even the same song. It was like, wow, this is a better song now. <laughs> wow, Take note, Eric Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he gets for having slow hands.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of which, yeah, let's that's, that's segue into Up and Under. So you host The Open Mic. Um,
1: you picked that up uh, recently, like this past year, yeah? Um, it's going on like almost two now. Two, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I came back from Nashville and like I said, I had been a guitar player for so long. I played in bands in Nashville playing guitar. <laughs> I was in an Eagles tribute band for a while. That's legit. Yeah, I had to do all the Joe Walsh stuff, but yeah. like I don't know, too much life in the fast lane, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe it. So I came back to Milwaukee, and like the second night I was back, uh, my buddy Marshall Holm, shout out Marshall Holm, called me up and he was like, uh, "Come on to the Up and Under. It's been a while." So I was like. Okay, fine. So I went out there and I didn't bring a bass with me, but he's like, hey, you wanna play bass? And I was like, I guess. So he hands me this like, I think it was a 72P bass that he had just like fully restored. Mm-hmm. And he hands it to me and goes, oh, by the way, don't play this bass with a pick. And my mind was just like, oh, what do I do? Cause like I'd grown up playing pop punk and punk music with a pick on bass. And something just like immediately short circuited my brain, and I was like, oh, wait, I can understand this now. And I was just like, going. And I go off stage, Marshall's like, wow, that's the best bass playing I've ever heard from you. And I was like, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> so then slowly, uh, like, he gave it up, and I, I stepped in and took it over. And then I played for about a year with Marshall McGee, the old host. And uh, then when things changed, uh, I took it over with my band, Honey on the Biscuit, and I've been emceeing the show and uh, keeping it going ever since. Yeah, and you have like regulars that come play like. Every we have a week. lot of regulars. In fact, like I had to start putting fake spots on the list to throw off the regulars, so that we just didn't have five spots in a row that were the same people every time playing right. the same exact songs yeah. every week. And I. I Started to like implement these rules, like, hey guys, if you're gonna play, you gotta play something different than last week, yeah. or I'll go up and play with them and just throw them off completely with a new cover that they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it uh, it definitely has like changed the vibe since I took it over. We, we're getting a lot of people who have never been there before. Mm-hmm. A lot of people coming from out of town. We had a we had a band from Nashville stop in last night oh, cool. and just get up and play on one of the spots.
0: Nice. Pretty
1: cool. That's awesome. Did it like remind you of being down there. Oh, they weren't they weren't like the typical Nashville band. See Nashville has some bands that like there are rock bands down there. From what I've experienced, like they're not from Nashville, but then they moved to Nashville and then they're like, we're a Nashville band. But most of them lived somewhere else before that. Fair. Yeah. It's really hard to get like the DIY scene going down there. That makes sense. They tried to start a band down there multiple times and I would get responses to my ads like yeah, I'm interested. How much does practice pay? Or, or like, sure, I'm interested. What label are you on? <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm poor as shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing this to, to release from all the bullshit I deal with day to day. That's one thing I like a lot more about, like, the Midwest. It seems like the DIY scene is just so much more prevalent here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we thrive on it. Like, people are so used to not having something backing them up and figuring out how to do it on your own Mm -hmm. that that's just the way it gets done
0: yeah i think yeah and it it definitely like i think a diy scene is um it's great with building that self-discipline as a creative yeah um, because you know what's going to work and what's not going to work immediately yeah yeah and you have but you won't know unless you
1: apply yourself and do it yeah and it's like stand up comedy like you have to go up and bomb to figure out what's going to actually work yeah you're gonna
0: fail a number of times before you you know you find that uh that avenue yeah um and and like there's also just so much um there's there's just so many sad avenues of people trying to uh you know uplift these artists in milwaukee and there's like there's you know all kinds of you know this is like the the networking events that happen like you know near every week now there's um you know there's all kinds of basement venues there's uh you know there's there's just so many ways that um our like Milwaukee's market just supports one another and looks after another and just wants each other to be successful because we are all in this together it's like it's a common goal to be trying to, you know, prove ourselves in, in the scene. And that's why, like, I'm, I'm really grateful to be, you know, involved in the scene. Cause like you just meet somebody really humble and just also just really
1: caring individuals that genuinely care about what you do. Yeah. Well, that, at these networking events for sure. Mm. But, uh, yeah. being out there and playing shows for years, you definitely run into people with some egos too. That,
0: yeah, that's, that's true. There's, there are some people that still are like, you know, might feel entitled, or they might feel like they're
1: better than they actually are. Yeah. Things. Well, you know, I don't know if it's like, they feel like they're better than they are. It's like, if people tell them that they're great. I mean, if you It gets to their head. If you spend all your time as an artist in an echo chamber, where everybody just tells you how good you are, you're not gaining anything from that. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you need constructive criticism in order to make your art better. Yeah. Like, that's something I welcome. Like, sure, if somebody's like, hey, that was shitty, my first thoughts would be like, what? But then I'm like, oh, well, yeah, it kind of was. Like, I see where the problem was. Yeah. Then you can work on it the next time. Right. So, what, what <laughs> would be an
0: example of, like, strong, constructive, good constructive criticism that
1: you've received uh, being involved? Good constructive criticism. Uh, well, it's always nice when like someone comes to a show and they haven't seen your band before, and they mention something like, "Oh, that seemed too fast," or like, "Things seemed out of key," or "I couldn't stand," "I couldn't understand the lyrics." It's like you know, then like, okay, we have to slow this down for for years, and I think it's because like me and my friends grew up around punk rock, which is just like fast and loud. Uh, a lot of musicians I played with have a tendency to rush, like go very fast. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize you're going fast once you're getting really into it. It's only when you look back at the video or something like that where you're like, wow, we were going really fast. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's good to have an outside source come to you <laughs> and be like, yeah, hey, yeah. that was kind of fast. <laughs> Rather than somebody be like, yeah, that was cool. And then later on go to their friends like, yeah, well they're fast
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure um no that, I mean that, that's good um I I receive constructive criticism frequently from namely people like I really trust like close friends that I know have my best interest in their interests and they're just looking out they're like hey Ben like you know you uh you, like, uh, went too much on a tangent here or, like, you, you went too long talking about this or you, you know, you might want to f- try to focus, change your focal point a little more, like, you know, and, and that's okay. Like, and, and that's something I've tried to adapt into, like, you know, every episode I do on the show or...
1: Um, well, because ultimately, like, you're making it for people to watch. Yeah. You know? Like, if they have problems with it, they're not gonna watch it. Right, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, there's some times where you have to just like, look at your your art and be like, am I making this for me? Or am I making this for people to enjoy? And yeah. you kinda have to like, figure out where that happy medium is. Yeah, cause it, yeah, it's important. Cause you
0: need both, yeah. you know? Um, and like, yeah, and that's why it's also, it's it's reassuring to have people like that in your corner that that are going to tell you like yo do this differently next time or like yo like cuz it's like they see it in you. They know that you can do better. They know that you're capable of, you know, finding that potential. But yeah. you know, you sort of going back to just the whole DIY ethic. It's like it's trial and error. You're going to you're not going to succeed right away. You need to do this or you that. You need to go up
1: there and eat shit once in a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've, uh... You learn from mistakes a lot more than you learn from, like, succeeding. Yeah. I've eaten plenty of shit. Oh, yeah. I've dined on shit. Yeah. I, uh... I've eaten some of Milwaukee's
0: finest shit. <laughs> yes. Uh... I can guarantee... I can recommend some great shit poses. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So where do you want to take uh, up and under's open like? Because I know that you it's it's been explosively becoming more popular in the last couple of months. You've been having people pouring out of the bar. What do you like what what's your like uh ultimate goal you want to accomplish
1: for the sake of the event? I mean, ideally I wanna I wanna expand it as much as possible. But like there is a constraint of like how much it can physically handle. Yeah. I mean, we're working on a stage that is kind of hodgepodge together of all gear that's been used for a decade by touring mm-hmm. bands every weekend. And you never know what you're gonna get when you walk in there. Uh, like <laughs> Sometimes you walk in and every channel on the snake has been switched around to a different channel on the board. Yeah. Or sometimes we walk in there and uh, every single wire in the whole place has been tangled into one ball. Damn. So like sometimes the hardware itself is like restricting. But I mean, it's like working with an old computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can only go as far as the hardware will take you and then you have to figure out ways to get around that. Yeah. So, some things that I'm trying to do are like, uh, we we have a lot of acoustic artists come in, which, I mean, people like the acoustic artists. Mm-hmm. But then we also have electric artists and full bands come in. Yeah. And, uh my thought is I don't wanna separate them, but I wanna eventually make like specifically an acoustic jam night and then specifically an electric jam night. Maybe we'll switch it up on occasion. Yeah. Like throughout the summer as we get more people coming in, I'm gonna try some new ideas. Yeah. And uh, from experience, the best way to try these new ideas is just like do it. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I agree and we also like uh, even um, for example the High Five Top Five show that I uh about a month ago now like there was such a, a mix of genres that were kind of uh, mixed in on like the different performers like there was there were a series of hip-hop artists and then there was a full band and then there was an R&B singer with a full backing band mm-hmm. We and had
1: DJs, we had acoustic artists. At the
0: yeah, beginning. that was like it, it is difficult to have it, like different sounds and styles will attract different crowds. Yeah, and it's like it's, it's difficult to accommodate everybody to like a full dynamic event when so many different ideas as much
1: as people will like to tell you, like, oh, this is all kinds of music, they're still going to gravitate to like the style that they like the best. Right. Yeah, so it is a little difficult to try to like sell that as an idea. Like, come see seven different genres of music in one night. People go, oh, interesting. But they won't necessarily be like, alright, take my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's
0: it's hard when, you know, you just don't, when, like, your idea of, like, how you want the night to look, like, is, you know, it, it's like, if, that, if that's fluctuating so much and switching up the style, it's like, you're like, okay, like, what are we doing here? You know, like, how, how am I like how, like, how am I supposed to match the energy of like every performer if it's all so different? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a challenge I run into every Monday night. <laughs> I believe it. Especially when we get new people in and uh, they put their name on the list and I have no idea what they're gonna do. You might just have to be prepared for like, all right, go up there, what are we gonna see? I mean, I have everything from finger style acoustic guitars to um, hip hop artists who bring their tracks and we plug it in, like Mm -hmm. they sing along with them, uh, to full bands that we just throw together by going on the list and being like, all right, this guy's a guitar player, this guy's a bass player, this is a drummer. Instead of having individual spots, we're gonna put them all together and have them play together. That's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) It's like like doing a craft project with musicians. Like you just throw it together and see what you're gonna get for the end product. Yeah, because who the hell knows what to expect and that's, that's like something that I, I take from years ago when I first started going to open jams. Now, there's a difference between an open jam and an open mic. And I feel like a lot of people who haven't been to them don't know the difference. Yeah. Like an open mic, you sign up and you get your 15 minutes to do whatever you want. But an open jam, which is like what I cut my teeth on in Milwaukee when I came up here, was uh, like you get up there and you put your name on the list, but you also put me what, what instrument you play and chances are you're gonna be playing with people who you don't know, songs you've never played before, and it's up to you to know the modes and figure out how to follow along. Yeah, I mean, you might get as little as like key of A and I'm gonna start. It's like you're being thrown to the wolves in front of a crowd and for years, I thought like, wow, this is kind of like a pain. I don't know if I want to do this. But then looking back, I'm like, wow, I learned a lot. Yeah. I learned so much about music itself and how it works just from going to these jams. And 90% of the time, these are guys who are like four times my age up there playing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, me just this uh, high school age guy sneaking in the <laughs> bars with a guitar in my hand yeah. and going and playing with like, these blues legends who are coming up from Chicago to yeah. play some little tiny bar in Cudahy. Really? <laughs> yeah, like how, how how do you expect yourself to to
0: be in the league of what they're gonna do? You know? It's yeah. like yeah, I can imagine that's really intimidating
1: to someone who doesn't who's not used to that. Yeah. It was one of those things where I was just like, alright, I guess I have to do this now. Yeah. Like I said, like I, I never get the stage fright because I've always been in the situations yeah. I think part of the, the way it worked so well with the jam scene was that uh, in high school I was in theater I did a lot of improv and things like yeah, that sure. so like you just learn how to go with it mm-hmm. and whatever happens happens and you just gotta end then yeah yeah I, yeah it's like um,
0: I, uh, I talked to a uh, improv comic artist uh, a couple a month and a half ago or so, and she, like, we were talking about how improv works, and, I mean, I, like, there's... Me, personally, like, I think that I'd be, I'd feel a lot more under pressure if, like, I was trying to make people laugh, oh, yeah. and be coming up with stuff on the spot, uh if I, rather than, if, you know, I was coming up with music to play, and hoping people would groove with it, because it's, like... <laughs> It's a lot more embarrassing when you know you you, when you stumble on trying to make someone laugh and like you just look kind of like you know a total uh, you know, buffoon, rather than like when you're playing music, it's, it I feel like it's um you know it can be really easy to redeem yourself yeah. you know and kind of like re
1: reform yourself. Well, and if you're playing to a crowd of people who aren't musicians themselves, I feel like the only way you're sometimes giving away that you're making a mistake by like the look on your face yeah yeah because I mean you could mess up a bunch of notes but if you do it confidently and then cover it up now you're just a freeform jazz musician yeah totally yeah true that and it's like
0: that is that just kind of like it yeah like that that can just totally you know cover it up like so much easier and like last night I saw this band shoot down the moon oh yeah um fantastic band uh, played at Cactus last night and um, there was one of their songs they like uh, com- they like um, had a false start like they messed up like the the, um, the part where like you know the the uh, singers like came in and stuff and they like realized like the singer realized it and like he stepped away from the mic and just started laughing and then like the band stops the band just all stopped and they were like Oh, uh, we we messed up the star. We're gonna run it. We're gonna run it back. Like start over. And like everyone was just laughing their ass off. And the pe- it's like the crowd was like, oh, like you know, it's it's funny. Yeah. Like you know they. they
1: and it, it can be covered up with comedy.
0: Yeah, they're they yeah they're they're comfortable with it. It's like
1: yeah they, they made a mistake, but like I I'm all for self deprecating humor and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, it's uh, for some people, it's like like a hard hurdle to get over it to be. Confident enough to make a mistake and not be like, whoops, I fucked up. Yeah. Like, don't tell the crowd and they won't know that you fucked right. up. They don't know your song. So yeah. Like, but, um, yeah, but it's like, yeah, if you can kind of just like
0: finesse the the mistake into something that, you know, you quickly like pick yourself back up from and, you know, you don't, you, you don't like make it like, uh, you don't make it obvious that, you know, you have like this Lapsing confidence all of a sudden, and you're like, oh, I fucked up, like, shit. Like, what do I do now? It's like, if you can like, just learn how, it. yeah, if you can learn how
1: to harness that, then you got it. It's like the same thing of like, using paint. Like, if you're painting, if you fuck up, like, whoops, you can't erase, just turn it into something else. Yeah. Right, yeah. Or
0: people with tattoos that, they get a cover-up, and they, yeah. uh, get something over it, and It's like it wasn't ever there originally in the first place. Um, So be confident. Yeah. Don't tell people you fucked up. Right. Just play it off. Play it off. I make so many fucking mistakes here, and you know what I do? I edit them out. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and that makes it look like I know what I'm doing. All right. Uh, All right. Oh, there we go. Tyler, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? The damn cat meowing. The fucking cat, dude. The worst is when you're already in bed and the cat is like in your room, scratching on the door to get out, and you have to fucking get up and ruin your your comfy vibes to because of the fucking cat. Yeah. Uh, what puts you to sleep? What puts me to sleep? Uh the dark man, that's what keeps me up. <laughs> thank you for being on the show. Anytime, man. Yeah. Thank you for the UV, uh, lemonade combo. Uh, it was, it was nice to revisit, uh, the high school weekends. Oh yeah. Um, Party time. yeah. Uh, dude, don't miss the up and under open mic every Monday at 9 PM. Uh, you know, if you're interested, uh, you know, look, uh, Get in contact with uh, the management there. um, Connect with Tyler Stefanski. Come get on the list. It goes out at 9 o'clock. Yes. Um, But otherwise, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. And we'll see you next time.